Hey song surfers, welcome to Song Surfing. It's your friend, John. Song Surfing is a playlist of independent music pulled from the far reaches of the internet. It's an interview episode today, friends, and I'm super excited to hear the duo that we have on today. Skunkweed Juju is Brianna Bass and Kelsey Martis, homegrown singer-songwriters from Northwest Georgia and Northeast Louisiana who weave airtight harmonies and deep-rooted stories over a rambling soundscape of light-picking and boom-chicking guitar and banjo. Their second album, Think What's Next and Don't Cry, will be out November 18th. It was recorded live to tape in the barn loft at Star Home Place in Oak Ridge, Louisiana, with producer Tyler Key. We've heard Skunky Juju previously on Song Surfing, the first time being way back on episode 12 when we listen to the song Blood Harmony, which sounds like this. Slapping their feet on the old porch floor at the aiming lot while their daddy cooks close. Ooh, them babies, they sure can sing when they put their heads together, got that blood harmony. Brianna and Kelsey, welcome to Song Surfing. Hey, John. Thanks. Hey, John. So I, I've seen some of your posts on social media about the singles and the album. You go into the a, a bit about what each song's about and the, the bigger themes of the album. So what's it all about? Maybe you want to start with the title? A lot of the songs that we have on the album were written during uh, 2020 and beyond. Uh, those few years of like just quiet uh, pause that got us to thinking about our pasts and the people in our like elder generations that came before us and how they set us up on this journey that we're on now and how that weaves into like future stories that we're a part of um kind of like the crossroads between like where we've been and where we're going Mm -hmm. yeah I think uh something that kind of hit home with me during the pandemic um I know it was like a real scary time for a lot of people and something that I found really comforting was just reminding myself that we are definitely not the first generation to sweat out one of these pandemics and that got me thinking a lot about like the number of them that I mean even our own parents have been through uh, there was one in the 70s that, that our parents lived through and then um, uh, just different like disasters and wars and pandemics and crises that have gone on through throughout history that all and all of our family members like either survived or some didn't survive, but enough of them survived that that Kelsey and I landed here where we are today in, in 2022 on the tail end, hopefully the tail end, of our own pandemic uh, with, with wars still happening and um, economic turmoil still forever looming over top of everybody. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of got us thinking about, like, the strength that came before us and like how that's carried over and how it how we um navigate this scary time and how like that doesn't come from nowhere that comes from the people before us so you feel a connection to the past generations do you both know your family history or is it more just a connection to folks in your region that sort of thing it depends because like one side of my family is super blessed to like have some recorded history of where we came from and like our indigenous roots in Louisiana. Um, We're Chittimasha tribe by way of the Natchitoches tribe in Louisiana. But the other side of my family are just poor whites. So it's a luxury to have documentation sometimes in the South. That's, that's kind of 
an imaginary past that you can in- construct in your mind and kind of take inspiration from is like what do you do when you don't know and you just feel like your past generations inside of you you kind of have to go off instinct yeah and I think it's also I think it can be both I think for for both of us and and, and I will speak for us on this on this um we pull a lot of that from what little family history we do know and and we both are blessed to um to be close to our families and and have um grandparents still around and we uh, both got to experience um, having grandparents, and I was really blessed to have great-grandparents still alive uh, through um, a vast majority of my young childhood. But also, so, like, we have that blessing of having our family identities and um, the parts of it that we can piece together. But also, like you said, the, uh, culturally, um, having grown up in the South and and with all the good and the bad and the ugly that comes with that, like, I think that we both pull a lot of inspiration from that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I find that um the connection to the past a, a, an intriguing thing. I mean, I personally have very very little of that. I, I don't know my dad's side of the family at all. My mom's side, I only know of them going back maybe two generations. And it's all very mysterious. It was a, a real big moment when we um visited New York uh to, and went to Ellis Island and found um the records from my uh, to my grandparents. Oh, wow. was, cool. I, I guess I connect to that, Kelsey, when you say that, you know, some of it you create for yourself. Yeah. Some of that you just feel within yourself. Like, um, I don't know a whole lot. I also don't know a whole lot about um, my family outside of of the United States. I don't I don't know a whole. I mean, I've, I know basically where they came from, but I don't have any stories from that. But like, damn, they must have been hard because there's a lot of us still around. Yeah, and just kind of like honoring that tenacity and that grit that took to even get you as a person here on this planet right now. Like the amount of struggle that is, is the documented side of my family, like you can read how hard time was. And it's like if they can make it through that, yeah, what we're going through now is really freaking hard. But like I'm continually inspired by... um like people, people that have kind of made it through, yeah. and the ones who didn't, you know, that really tried hard, but they deserve to be honored too. So, would you say all the songs on the album are related thematically? I think a lot of them are. They aren't entirely um, tied back to ancestral roots, but I'd say the vast majority of them do. But there are a handful that are um, about our personal experiences. One of the songs that uh, we're going to play here for you live, I wrote it for a, a buddy that um, isn't with us anymore. He, um, oh, no, forgive me, I do not know what the proper vernacular is, but he um, he unalived himself in uh, July of 2020, and he was a close friend, and I kind of wrestled through that song for many years, and I finally uh, got it put together, and it didn't really fit the theme of what Kelsey and I had been working on, but there was like just this line of sadness of the things that we all wrestle to get through. And, and some way I was able to tie it back to like our families struggle, but they didn't all make it. And, and we're not all going to get through it. We're not all going to get to the finish line together. And so like we found ways to tie other feelings and other emotions and other like life experiences back to the general theme. Did the theme of the album 
or the themes of the album, did they take shape as you put the songs together or did you set out, you know, saying this is going to be a, a concept album, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it? Did the themes come first or the songs come first, I guess is what I'm asking. In general, Kelsey and I are really inspired by by our families and by our, our histories. That's been something throughout our over our decade of our friendship that we've talked about frequently and our ties to uh, to being in the South and what it means to be Southern. So like those things are kind of always with us. They're just kind of our a, an aspect of our personality and a part of our friendship that's kind of always been there. And so they kind of it kind of takes shape in just about every one of the songs we've ever written ever. But we we're just kind of we didn't have a plan for this album. We didn't even really um, know we were going to be doing this album or we didn't set out to make an album. We were just like separated for the first time in a really long time when Kelsey moved home to Louisiana right at the top of the pandemic. And um, just as a way to like stay really connected and like help each other out and help ourselves out through like such a trying time, we were sending each other like songs that we were working on via voice memo. And then it, they all just kind of came, it kind of just fell into place. They all kind of shared a common theme and um, it just kind of shaped itself to be what it was. We didn't have any plan for it to begin with, but once we had probably about 10 songs under our belt, passed back and forth, we were like, you know, this might be a thing. And I think we did sit down with like a list of, we. I think we had two dozen songs mm-hmm. or somewhere close to that, um, that we sat down and we looked at thematically how they worked best divided up. And we picked these 12 mm-hmm. songs out of that two dozen and we're like, okay, these fit a storyline and kind of say one narrative. They kind of fit together in a narrative uh, well. They can tell a story linearly, but also stand alone on their own. Uh, and then our, our buddy Tyler Key, he's um, a musician that we have just gobs and gobs of respect for. But he reached out to us, um, or he reached out to me um, just, on a, just on a whim one day and was like, I'm at a thrift store and there's a four-track tape recorder. And I keep staring at it and I keep walking by thinking, I just want to record Skunkweed Juju on that. <laughs> and so he's like, "Can I, I want to I record y'all. And I was like, oh, that sounds like fun, buddy. Okay, sure. And I didn't really think much of it because... I don't know, it was during the pandemic and we were also like just bogged down and not going anywhere, but he bought it and then just kind of kept pestering me about it. And I was like, all right, well, we got these songs. Maybe let's talk about it. So if you, you're sending uh, recordings back and forth, mm-hmm. you don't live near each other anymore. So how did you prepare to record an album live? Yeah, the, um, Matt and Bree came into town uh, Memorial Day weekend and we kind of had a gig lined up that we rehearsed for and at that point we sat down and and looked through and planned what the track listing would be from there it was just we had I think like a month to rehearse yeah and got together in the barn and did the whole thing live like two mics four four mics two mics yeah it was all recorded live nothing we weren't plugged into anything it was all super um well we were I'm not actually, I'm not going to talk to how it actually went down as far as recording goes because I'm kind of ignorant to that. Uh, Tyler would have to tell, explain that to us. But, um, yeah, it, we we just kind of rehearsed on our own, which is tricky um, for a duo, especially the kind of duo that we are that relies so heavily on on our familiarity. Yeah. And it was it was hard, I won't lie. It was really hard. Um, neither of us liked practicing by ourselves. But it was just, we just kind of did, and then we... Um, 
we always get together at my husband's mother's house. She lives in Louisiana as well, um, about a half hour from where Kelsey is. And so we, we got together at her lake house, and we ran through it a few times. About three days before, we ran through it a few times each day just to kind of like see how we could sync what we've been working on individually and sync it together. Then we just did it. We were like, it's going to be what it is. It, it might not be as tight as we're used to, but like we're just going to honor what it is. It's part of this pandemic journey. Like this was hard on everybody and this is going to, this is no different. So like we're just, we're just going to honor what it is. We're going to uh, just ride it out. And that's what we did. So are we talking like you played for the recording like you would a concert, just one take on everything? Or did you go back and do multiple takes on the songs? Three yeah, three maximum on each <laughs> of each song. We were okay, battling. Still, that's pretty daunting. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yes, we were battling um, storms. It, it's summer in in the south. You know, you get your afternoon showers, and so and we're just in in this old historic barn loft, and so like we kept having to pause because all of a sudden it would start raining, and <laughs> there was a Martin house outside the window, and so like occasionally the birds would maybe get a little too loud, and then. Um, the home place folks, they like would get excited and they'd come like peek up the stairs and we're like, oh, we got to start over because there's a bunch of footsteps now in the recording. So it was kind oh, of wow. a whirlwind of a day. But um, yeah, we were like, we're just going to let this we're just going to let this live and breathe and be what it is. It's going to like shape itself. It'll be its own beast. And yeah. we're just going to love it regardless. Why don't we check out one of the songs? So uh, first up is Born Again. Can you tell us about that? Oh, Yeah. The beginning and the end sample uh, this shape note tune called Idumea, which is an old hymn. You know, shape, shape notes are v- very, like, rootsy and very rustic. The sound is a little bit grating to your ears, but I think it's really haunting and pure, like, just the way it comes out as vocalizations of notes, like the la, so, fa, mi notes so that's okay so i i was i was gonna ask you but then i was also like if i'm hearing things i didn't want to offend yeah (laughs) so so you're not in the intro you're not singing words it's syllables it's just uh it's just named notes uh like you would say like do uh, do yeah exactly um so they would layer those on top each section would have their own part that was divvied out and they would have their own La Sophie me uh, note that they're singing. So it made it really complicated at the beginning. But yeah, shape note singing is a cultural thing. It's a historical thing. Um, I, it, they use it a, throughout, throughout, I mean, probably throughout the United States, but like it's, there's a, a, a nice concentration of it in Appalachia. And it was how they taught music to, um, yeah. to like these, these mountaineers who probably had 30 miles between them and the next neighbor, but they would all go and get together on church every Sunday, and this is how they would teach them the hymns, and it's how they would teach them how to sing together as a congregation. And so you'd get, you'd get four-part harmonies, but what they were doing was teaching by rote, like they are handing out sheet music, but it doesn't look like it does today. Like each note has a different shape. Some of them are circles, some are squares, some are triangle, and each shape has a corresponding vocal lib and a note that goes with it. And the congregation, um, I mean, this was, this was entertainment, for those people at the time, I mean, they 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 lived in the middle of nowhere and with nothing around. They didn't have television. They maybe had a radio. So um, this was a this was entertainment. This was a way for people to get together and and congregate. And so they would learn these notes. They'd learn the shape and the note corresponded with them. And then they would hand out sheet music, and they already know that note 
that shape means that note. And so they were able to get four-part harmonies with uneducated, like not, they weren't musically educated people, just like. Well, and there were music schools, too, yeah. that you they would pay the good labor money. labor camps in particular. Mm-hmm. To go and learn to sing from people teaching shape notes. Mm-hmm. And the song, the song pulls from that folk music sect in order to give a coloring to the feeling of struggle and like how that pan how the pandemic set off a bunch of like feelings about capitalism inside of me and that's where that song kind of came from where it's like I want to participate and succeed but I'm having a lot of big feelings about what I have to sacrifice in order to participate and succeed in this system that we've built and I think about ancestors that lived through the depression and how my grandma lived through the depression and she was like well (laughs) you just gotta keep going through it and I'm like all right there's there's got to be some sort of spiritual that I create for myself because I'm not a religious person that helps me make it through this economic crisis and over to the other side Get down. 
are back. So can you tell us about the venue where you recorded the album? Oh, yeah, the Star Home Place. It's in Oak Ridge, Louisiana. Um, Kelsey's going to be able to speak to that a little better than I am. Um, she's real familiar with it. She's the one that lined up that venue. Um, originally, we um, we did a photo shoot once in uh, Lake Providence, Louisiana. They have um, a museum there, and they had an old sharecropper church. And that was ideally where we had hoped um, to land for this recording. We recorded over Fourth of July weekend in their estate park, and so they were like, "Yeah, our employees are going home to be with their families." And we're like, <laughs> "Totally fair, totally fair." So Kelsey um, came in clutch and lined up the Star Home Place for us. I'll let her tell you about it. I was on the way out to a family reunion out in Oak Ridge, Louisiana, and I passed by this place that it just looked really interesting. And I scheduled a little tour to go through there because I saw they had a barn in the back. And I knew that we were looking for a barn to record in. And as a backup to the Cotton Museum, I was like, oh, I'm going to check out this place. And it's incredible. This man, Joe Cooper Rolfe, he has curated, gosh, he used to be an interior designer here in Atlanta. And he has curated all of these, like, really invaluable antiques, like, priceless pieces of, like, farm implements and old furniture and uh, these outhouses, not, like, a literal outhouse, but, like, outbuildings that have been moved from the area to his property in order to preserve those buildings. So it's like a historical preservation site in the middle of a cornfield. And it felt really inspiring, and it felt like the closest thing to the Louisiana Cotton Museum's church that they had on premises, something that was very, like, seasoned and deep. Something with its own history. Looking at some pictures of it. Yes. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, this one picture here looks like you would, uh, it's maybe a workshop. Yes. It looks like uh, you're stepping back uh, a century when you walk into that room. Absolutely. And it's all labeled, like, meticulously. I found a hide stretcher in there. He showed me a hide stretcher that my cousin had given to him from, like, my great-uncle Jimmy. Then he was like, is this your great-uncle Jimmy? And I was like, it sure is. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. it was really, it's a really sweet place. And we really wanted to find a place that, that spoke to the themes that we were going for. Like, we, we wanted to find a place that had a history and stories of its own that kind of, like, lend that energy to us. And... And what he's, like, working on out there is creating, like, a place for artists in residency, um, a cultural community uh, in the Delta, uh, which is something that that the area really needs because there's a there's such a vibrant culture that's there, but it is a forgotten part of the country. So I'm really grateful to what Joe is, like, trying to preserve out there. So how did the two of you meet? Oh, my goodness. So long ago. <laughs> so uh, we met at Louisiana Tech University. I was there for grad school, and Kelsey was a freshman. I don't, can't even think of, like, the very first time we met. We just, I feel like I've known you forever. But we just, like, we we just met and, like, instantly clicked and just kind of hit it off. And then all of a sudden people were, like, having trouble telling us apart, which is silly. We don't look anything alike. and we're, We do have very different personalities. But, like, I don't know, we just kind of, like, became attached at the hip. We then worked together at a summer stock theater in North Carolina. That's kind of where we started playing music together. You you go into work at like 5 p.m. and you get off at like 10 p.m. and then you have like nothing to do. 
until 5 p.m. the next day. And so we started busking on King Street, I think at the time. In Boone, North Carolina. I think we were just playing ukuleles at the time because we didn't pack full instruments for the summer stock because we were in, like, company housing, like, crammed in, like, sardines. And so we just, like, started busking together, and we had all this time. And it was, I don't know, it was kind of like a no-brainer way for us to just kind of, like, fall back into a bond that um hadn't we hadn't lost but I graduated and moved to Kentucky for a few years and so we had been separated for a few years and so it was kind of like a nice way for us to just kind of like meld again yeah and I come from a musical family I think selfishly like the thing that I enjoy most about singing with Kelsey is I just really love that like platonic intimacy that is developed between people who sing together um it's something that I've discovered with my family when I was young singing with them It just creates such a bond when you get to know somebody so intimately that you can make your breath spiral at the same frequency as theirs. And it's just it's something that um, maybe we're big nerds, but I get so excited about it. And it's my favorite part of singing with Kelsey is when we get to just like lock in those harmonies so, so tight. And you just feel like you're mind melding. So what were some of the songs that you played when you were busking? Oh, my goodness. What did we play? We played... Oh, no. Can I tell about Please. how we came... Okay, so that's also where we came up with the band name, <laughs> uh, was at that outdoor drama. And uh, we had a quartet with Bree and me and Bree's husband, Matt, and our friend, Chris Simpson. And uh, we were rehearsing Wagon Wheel in, yep. <laughs> in the gardens beside the theater. <laughs> And we smelled something, and I'm, like, 19. So, like, we smell something in the gardens. And this is, like, Boone, North Carolina is where Appalachian State is, so it's just a bunch of crunchies up there in the mountains. And I'm like, just yeah. smell that skunk out here. And they're like, that's not a skunk, Elsie. <laughs> and uh, that's how that's how skunkweed juju came out. Cause we, we started as a quartet singing Wagon Wheel. <laughs> <laughs> At, like, the folk night for our outdoor drama. So that's what kind of music we were playing, Wagon Wheel. <laughs> yeah. Bree, you came from a musical family. And Kelsey, how did you get started in music? Uh, oh, oh, a guy in high school gave me a mandolin. He played the bass and didn't know how what to do with it. And so he gave me this mandolin. And then the same year, Ricky Skaggs came to town. Oh, wow. In Ruston, Louisiana, I got Ricky Skaggs to sign it, and then I had to learn how to play it. <laughs> so my family's not musical at all, neither side of us. But that, I guess that's how that's how I got into it. My mom made me take piano lessons, but I never practiced. So you started on mandolin. I, I find that I, I'm borrowing a mandolin from my friend right now. Yeah. I'm uh, using it for some tracks on an album I'm working on. Yeah. And I find it really difficult. Well, you know, normally like switching to like, you know, banjo or any of the other string instruments isn't never feels like too different from guitar to me. Mm. I feel like a beginner again. How did those men with those big old sausage fingers, because they all do, like yeah. all of those professional mandolin players that like, you hear of, they're like the virtuosos. They all have those huge fingers and they squeeze them into yeah. those little tiny, those little tiny frets. It's baffling to me. I don't know. I play in it for two days. I feel like I have arthritis. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you both play now? I know there's banjo and guitar on the recording. So who's doing doing what? So I play the banjo and not not very well, but I still play it. It's um, I I never took lessons and I probably should have. So it's passable. And 
Yeah, I play the guitar. Um, we've taken very few lessons. But we both actually, we both play both instruments. We both yeah. are, can play the banjo and guitar. But um, for the duo, we just kind of landed where we were. I play the guitar and Kelsey plays the banjo. I think we're good at what, I think we're good for what we got. Yeah. I think it fits perfect for what we need. I think it depends on what your what your goal is, right, for the type of music you play. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think for Kelsey and I, uh, ultimately, like, the story is the story is what's important. The The music, our instrument, we're not the greatest uh, instrumentalist, but, like, that's not what's important to us. This Telling the story is what's important. And the music is just like a little cradle that we create for the, for the story to kind of, it's our vehicle for the story. And we get better every day. Damn, we're way better than we were in Boone, North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> but the for story sure. is what's most important to us. Yeah, and I think for the for the average listener, that's what really resonates with folks anyway. I mean, I think it's a, a select crowd that is just listening for a technical flash. Yeah, yeah. it's something that we, uh, we like, kind of grabbed hold of, and it's something we agreed on really early on. And, and so somebody, a friend of ours, I, they might have been trying to be a little shady when they said it, but I didn't take it that way. Um, they said that they really admired our commitment to amateurism. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, which sounds really shady yeah. by the time, but I was like, you know what? Though, thanks. Our journey is our journey. Like, we're not gonna hide our songs away until we're virtuosos. Like, we're just showcasing our journey. And you know what? I hope that that inspires other people to like who have stories of their own to like not hide them because they don't think that they're good enough of a guitarist or they're, yeah. they're not a good enough songwriter yet. We're like, just do the damn thing. There's this one song that uh, we have on the album uh, called The Dow Willie. And there's a whistle solo in it. <laughs> and I don't know how to whistle. I definitely don't know how to whistle. Neither one of us can whistle, but it's what calls, this is what the song calls for. And you do it anyways. Even if you're not the best at it, like if you're kind of enjoying yourself and you're okay with looking like a fool, like you should do it anyways, just try not going to get better not doing it exactly yeah, it gives a character yeah, right yeah. yeah it's okay right where you are you know so i had asked brie what some of her influences were to prep for the interview besides just listening to your music i wanted to and find out where where it comes from maybe right mm-hmm. but you listen to those old recordings and there's definitely you know you can find examples of really masterful virtuoso playing but there you know there's a, a lot of stuff that's just got uh real honesty and charm Mm -hmm. and it's not doing anything technical but it's it's something that's totally true to itself that's really worth just as much absolutely and you know those virtuosos all started somewhere like ralph stanley learned how to play the banjo from his mother and she only played claw hammer like he learned how to play the banjo on the front porch with his mom that's how i learned how to play the guitar with my dad and my granddad like everybody started somewhere I bet there's, I bet there are recordings of Ralph Stanley. Oh, and I mean all of them. I just read a Ralph Stanley biography, um, so I'll use him as the example. But um, through, I mean, throughout their recording career, he just gets better and better. He picks up new styles. He meets, like, scrubs and flats, and he starts, like, picking up the three-finger style. They meet Bill Monroe, and they don't get along at first because Bill Monroe's like, you're trying to steal my sound. And they're <laughs> like, no, we'll never be as good as you. I don't know why you don't like us. <laughs> um, but, like, they all, everybody starts somewhere. Like, who knows? Ten years from now, we might be virtuosos. But, like, right now, we're not, we got stories to tell in the meantime. Well, you have to um, use that backhand to compliment as, like, a quote for the new album. I'm going to get it tattooed on my body. <laughs> <laughs> 
And before we get to another song, um, I just wanted to comment the Banty Rooster song from your first album. <laughs> I like a lot. And I was hoping I could play play a, a second of that for the oh, audience. Please do. It's a crowd yeah. pleaser. <laughs> So there's a playfulness uh, to, to this tune and some of your other songs, too, that I, I really like. And I think that it it's a nice way of offsetting, you know, the more serious stuff that you're singing about on on the tunes. Yeah. So how does that stuff come about? Like, do you get the idea like, oh, I want to make chicken sounds <laughs> or is it something more spontaneous when you're just working on songs together? I don't know. I don't know. Those <laughs> hyper positive songs always come out of like a really dark frustrated place for me (laughs) where it's like you just need like some sort of like endorphin release and you're like I'm so frustrated with everything I'm just gonna write a song about roosters yeah (laughs) just make the silliest stupidest like frat boy party song but in our style possible yeah I I love it I mean that song I keep going back to it (laughs) yeah it's definitely a crowd pleaser it's so we play a bunch of shows, and everyone's just like, Betty, Betty. And we're like, God, give them what they oh, want. Oh, God, no. This they... past one, they started going, cluck, 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 like it was the Mighty Ducks or something. <laughs> oh, and then they cluck along They're with chanting us. chanting cluck at you. They cluck along with us like a, like a damn sea and say. It's amazing. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. All right, let's listen to another song from the new album. So Mother Mountain is next, and you had put a bit on Instagram about it, exploring the darker side of our existence. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um. So interestingly enough, when I very first got the idea for Mother Mountain, my husband installs high-end cabinetry, and uh, he had gotten a job um, in South Carolina on Lake Kiwi, and occasionally I will go with him. Uh, I do finishing work. And so he and I tag-teamed on this, and uh, the house was in this giant, like, several-mile-across neighborhood that that just came—it just, like, springs up out of nowhere on this TVA lake in the middle of South Carolina. And it's these huge mansions. Um, They're going for, like, $4 million houses. Most of them are vacation homes. But we were installing in, like, some of these houses, and I was— I was just kind of sick to my stomach about it because we couldn't get an Airbnb. We couldn't get a hotel. We couldn't get anything that was in town because it was all so expensive because these people have come in to this incredibly rural community. They've bought up all the lakefront property. They've put up these mansions that are vacation homes. They've got their own schools within their neighborhood. It's a gated community. They have their own schools, their own grocery stores. They have their own restaurants. They have their own police department, their own firehouse. They are are a self-contained community. So they're not giving back to the community that they have come in and bought all the property for. They're not giving any money back or they're not putting anything back into the community of the people who've lived there for generations, who's like passed down family farms because that's the area that we were in. And I was just kind of sickened by it that they're coming in buying all this stuff, they're self-contained, they're not giving back to any of it, and they're driving up property values and driving people off farms that they've lived on, that their family has lived on for hundreds of years. And I was, like, really kind of sick about it. 
and the more I thought about it, like, the, the song came about, but the more I played it and the more I kind of, like, tinkered with it, I was like, I'm mad for those people, but there's no way that I can talk about it and feel good about saying that someone's coming in and taking their land when I know that that ultimately those families haven't lived there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like, there were indigenous communities that were there first, and we did the exact same thing to them. And so the more I thought about it, the more I was just like, oh, God, for your privileges showing talking about these poor white farmers who were getting pushed out of their land. But I'm like, that's exactly what happened. Those poor white farmers pushed a lot of those indigenous communities out. Like, those indigenous communities were were annihilated and um, driven off of their, their ancestral ha- uh, land and home um, for for the sake of, of us who, who wanted a new place to be, a new uh, place where we could, like, create, carve out our own lives. And there's no way that I can talk about our past here without bringing that like it always goes back to that it has to I mean it just it does that's the truth of it and so the more I worked on the song the more the song came became about navigating the feelings that come up when I think about the genocide that took place and when I think about the the removal of the indigenous people from their ancestral lands so that so that my family could be here the song became like my way of trying to navigate those feelings and um, how, like, I so deeply believe there's space for for redemption here. There is space for reparation. There is space for reconciliation. But none of those things are possible if we don't acknowledge the pain first. Like, we're, we're never going to find middle ground. We're never going to find healing if you don't pinpoint the source of the wound first. And that's what the song became about for me. Land gives way to the thunder. 
So how long have you two been playing together, and how long have you been friends? At least since 2009. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's 12. Been a while. 13 years. So what have you learned from each other, musical or otherwise? Oh, my goodness. You you don't have time. <laughs> You're going to have to have us back, like, at least two or three more times. I'd... Going to be a two-part episode. <laughs> I have learned that if you're trying to find a note, writing harmonies is is pretty hard. Or it can be. Sometimes it's intuitive, and sometimes you're just trying to, like, find the right note inside of your sinus space, your head space. I've learned from Bree that if you put your forehead on the other person's forehead and have them sing the note, and then you can, like, try and find it, and you'll find it faster if you connect foreheads and let their sound resonate through your cranium. It's got to be forehead to forehead. That really works. It really does. Straight it really up. does. Um, yeah, so like the yeah, vibrations that we all create when we sing, <laughs> we're just like big instruments. We're just like, especially your faces. Your faces are such huge resonators. So if you put your foreheads together and you sing a note and they're trying to like find a harmony, um, if you are singing off if you're sharp or flat, the vibrations won't match up and it's uncomfortable. It's like a little bit like it, it like the itch in your nose when you're about to sneeze. But once you lock in, like that, the vibrations will sync up. And then it doesn't, it's not uncomfortable anymore. And it's just like you found home. You found like your base level. Wow. I'm going to have to you try should. that. That sounds awesome. I had sinus surgery last year. Huh. And my whole life, I really, I didn't realize it until last year. I hadn't experienced what it's like to have open <laughs> sinuses and to have resonance when I talk. Yeah, I bet you're feeling all sorts and do things when you, even just speaking, um, but like singing yeah. too, like you have so much more available to you now. Well, that's cool. All right. So the, the forehead resonance thing, and how about you, Bree? What's something you've learned? Kelsey has taught me how to communicate probably better than anybody. Kelsey has taught me how I want to be treated and how to treat the people that I care about. Kelsey has taught me how to talk about things when when I'm having a hurt. She's taught me that, like, I am doing my friends a disservice if I'm mad at them for crossing a boundary that I never set. Oh, my gosh. Kelsey, Kelsey has taught me about grace. Oh, so many things. So much. Just, I mean, this is 13 years of being together nearly every day. Just so much. So, so much. My goodness. Likewise. Let's get into another one of the, the recorded songs, and then you're going to play something live yeah, for us, right? absolutely. Next up is the song Casey, and you had said about this, the title of the album is the last line of this track and puts a name to the feeling of staring down the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the, the big realities of life is that you can feel really alive and dedicated and enamored to something and really want to try, just try and make it happen and it's it feels really good to say like yes that's what i want to be the future but in reality you have to set your priorities in order to survive sometimes you have to let go of things that you can't commit as much energy to that you want to so 
unfortunately, like having this creative partnership, while it means so much to me, I've realized like over the past year, like I may not have enough focus to commit to to give Brie like the partnership that she deserves in order for me to make the life that I need to in Louisiana with starting a business, with finding like a home and kind of creating a thing over there, taking care of my family because they're all getting older. And so like that last line was picked out after we came to a spot where we're like, okay, well, this is going to be the last album that we create together. It's a good album. It's a damn good album. And we're proud of it. But for the future's sake, it might be time to let this creative partnership go and release it. So the whole song, Casey, was written in 2020 pre-pandemic, but after a really shitty breakup that happened to me that I was like, man, I want to be the bigger person. I want to, like, let you go. But what the fuck? <laughs> I'm going to be happy for you in a little bit, but right now this this hurts. And I'm going to say, like, out loud how I'm feeling so that I can grieve it, so that I can open it up and dress it and not just, like, keep putting Band-Aids on it. That's what it feels like to let somebody go, to, like, do the whole grieving process. And when I left, I'm like, damn, that might be how my friend feels watching me leave and move 500 miles away after we've been living together for five and a half years. Like, that might be what my partner feels like. And the song allowed me to be compassionate and empathetic in a way that I don't think I would have been if I never addressed those feelings, those ugly feelings that I was having about that breakup, you know? All right, there's a lot yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to add, so I had, a, I had a mentor once call me up out of the blue um, I hadn't talked to her in years, and she called me about the blue and was like, you're just on my heart, and then there's something I felt like I needed to tell you. And I was like, all right, KJ, what's up? And so she was like, Brie, you can have everything that you want in life, but not all at the same time. And that has stuck with me so, so hard. So when um, when I first found out, when Kelsey and I first discussed her moving back home and not and not living here in Atlanta, um, like it was definitely there was definitely a hole that I had to fill and there was definitely a grieving process and just like the way that w- that we have grown and changed over the past three years like our friendship is non-negotiable like it's rock solid and it always will be and the same way that that Kelsey um it wants to honor honor me and the things that I want and that I deserve especially moving forward as a musician um if she's not able to give them and to the degree that that I need them, then the most compassionate thing to do is, is to cut it free. And and in that same vein, the most compassionate thing I can do for my friend that that needs this clean break, that needs this free start, is to, is to provide that space for her as well. Um, and I think Kelsey put it best when she mentioned it when we first when we released the single. She put out a statement about it about how. Um, this band and this whole experience, these last five years of, of making music together, um, has it's a souvenir of our friendship. That's what that's I love that you put it that way. It was such a beautiful way to put it. Because um, our friendship's going to go on like it. That's not negotiable. But um, so but we have the souvenir now to look back on these five years and all this these experiences that we've created together and all this music that we've created together. These two albums and. Man, the 20 plus songs that that weren't recorded, like we just we have this beautiful souvenir to look back on. 
And um, we're damn lucky for it. Oh my gosh, we're so damn lucky for it. And yeah, and there there's going to be a grieving process. There, of course, there is. But like we have each other through it. It's kind of a really, really beautiful thing. It's something I'm really grateful for. I'm really grateful that I have a friend that loves me enough to know what their capacity is to meet my needs. I mean, man, that's what that's what friendship. That's what that's what love's all about. You know, like, damn, I fucking found it. I found it in my best friend. Um. We're gonna let this go. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a beautiful goodbye. We have this album release show at the Earl, this venue we've always wanted to play with two of our very very best friends, and it's just gonna be like the perfect bow to tie up the end of this journey together. It's very respectable that you two are able to communicate so openly. I'm thinking like of the bands that I've been <laughs> in that broke up. It's usually thing no nothing was said until someone had too much to drink and then. <laughs> All, all hell broke loose, you know, and then it, 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 everything went up in flames. Man, we've had those moments, too. Yeah, <laughs> We've sure had enough. those moments. Yeah. Well, let's listen to the song. Uh, this is Casey, and we'll be back to talk more.
the November 18th is the album release, and that's the same date mm-hmm. that the album's getting released, yeah. right? You're doing the show show that night as well. Yeah, y'all got like 12 um, hours to learn all the words. <laughs> so people who live in the Atlanta area, uh, where can they find the the, the info on oh, this? Oh, yeah. Instagram? Oh, yeah. It's on our Instagram, uh, at skunkweedjuju on Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook page, too. Uh, there's a Facebook invite on there. Um, if you live in Atlanta, you're familiar with the Earl. It's a It's a... It's like a homegrown local local dive favorite. It's the best metal bar in town. In town. It's everybody's favorite. It's the place to be. They have the best Irish nachos. Um, <laughs> we love that place. Everybody loves that place. It's just, you, if you live in Atlanta, you know, you know where it is. <laughs> Can you share any tips for writing music, being more creative? Uh, read. Read everything. Just read a lot. Read everything. It doesn't matter if it's like your particular like cup of tea or the genre that you like most. Like branch out. Read as much as you can. I think that that has helped me more than anything. Yeah, that really helps. Absolutely. Every time I read a novel, I come up I get one song out of it at yeah, least. Yeah, read. Um talk to people, collect stories, collect any story that you can. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Just collect those stories. Like everybody's got a, an experience. Um and everyone's experience is different and I think we sometimes forget that. Um, give time to people and like actively listen when they're telling you like some really good stories that you know it's just that's all like a collection of experiences not my own not not all my own not all Bree's own but mm-hmm. just experiences that we kind of like gather like like dust on our tail like um, and practice, like just just <laughs> write bad ones over yeah. and over and over, and keep writing bad ones. Uh, something that we said to to each other a lot was like, not, "Don't judge the process." Like yeah. we've written hundreds of really trash songs, and then we've written probably like thirty, forty ones that were pretty good. But like, you gotta write those. You gotta write those trash songs. Yeah. You have to. Um, I also, <laughs> I also say like when I first started playing, I wanted to write like I just wanted to write fun honky tonk songs. So apparently, um, you have to exercise all your demons before you can write fun honky tonk songs. So if all you write for a while are sad songs about all of your trauma, man, honor it, <laughs> run with it. But write them as honky tonk songs. <laughs> write them as honky tonk songs. But <laughs> just like don't judge what comes out at first. Just don't judge the process. Don't judge what comes out. Um, get it all out before you edit. You can always go back and edit. I mean that's. That's how that's how we write our songs. Don't judge your process. Just practice. Songwriting is just like anything else in yeah. life. I'm pretty. I just. I, I really genuinely believe that, it, that most people can do just about anything if they're willing to put in the time to practice it. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. But even rocket scientists were just dumb kids once. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of writing a ton of music, and then you know you pick from that. Mm-hmm. Patrick Moonbird, who did the outro music for the show, in his interview, he said he wrote, I think at the time it was like he had written a thousand songs or something like that. Yeah. I believe <laughs> but it. But he's got a, a bunch of albums, too. So it's, you know, of course, there has to be a ton of material and then there has to be a ton of ones that don't make the yeah. cut. But I think what um, besides just the, the practice that you get, you also, you know, will sometimes have little bits and pieces that you can poach for other mm-hmm. songs, right? Yeah. And take the chord progression from this one, or I really liked that line, so I'll use that here. That kind of fits. Yeah. And also, like, don't be a perfectionist. I, I think that, like, there is room for perfectionism and, like, putting a well-crafted thing out there, but sometimes you just have to be like, all right, just give it a shot and see if people like it the way it is. And sometimes people are like, damn, that's pretty good. And it's like, well, that was a 20-minute song. Yeah. And the one that I spent, like, 
20 days writing, like, that went over like a lead balloon. Yep. Sometimes. It's not it's not always going to be your best work, but you're always going to do your best. Yeah. And as long as you've done your best, I mean, nobody can really ask for more. Don't compare your songs to others. Don't compare how how easily they come to you versus how easily they come to others. Like, just, man, just have your journey and honor your journey. Honor your stories, the stories that you have to tell, and, and don't let anything get in the way of that. That big old sun's going to explode one day. We're all going <laughs> to die. But like, oh, no. don't yes. worry about what anybody no. else thinks about your songs. Just honor your journey. Honor your time here. And, and write, just write your damn songs. Just do it. Honky tonk. Write them all. Just write it down. I know what I'm going to be thinking about tonight. <laughs> the sun exploding. So what's the song that you're going to play live? Oh, it is not a fun song. It's a sad song. Um, this song is it's called How Now, Brother. Um, I wrote it for my friend Bacchus, who um, he ended his life in uh, July of 2020. And it was really hard. It was a uh, it came up. He he. He made a choice to make a post on Facebook with a, with a picture beforehand, and um, it was a really hard thing for a lot of people. Um, and damn, Facebook left that picture up for like a week and a half too. We were like, "Can we please, take, please take this down? Please take this picture down." And it's been on my heart ever since. And and uh, he and I worked together. Um, I used to, to paint for for film and television here in Atlanta, and he and I worked together on a couple of sets. Uh, he was also a musician, and. Um, would play a lot at the beginning of the pandemic for free online and was just like just a real pot like a just a real light a real wonderful person and and cared so much about everybody and um I wanted to find a way to honor him and man I I struggled through this song uh so many times I was I couldn't get it to something that I thought he would like and be proud of and so I put it away for a bit this past February I did a songwriting challenge uh recommended to me by um, a coworker of mine who also is a songwriter. Um, it's called FAWM, F-A-W-M, and um, it's the February Songwriting Challenge. I cannot remember all of a sudden what FAWM stands for. Anyhow, you uh, the idea is to write 14 songs in the month of February, and it's just a forum of, of songwriters, and, and you, like, create prompts for people. Or you're like, hey, I'm willing to collab. I have these skills, and, and I have this snippet of a song. Can somebody finish it? Um, Pardon me. Um, one of the prompts was to write a song that had to do with with um, with a body part, and I was just kind of like, I read the prompt and I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And um, and the song that I was writing for my friend Bacchus kept coming up, and that's where I got my chorus. Like I finally finished the song um, in like ten minutes, thinking about about a body part. So I came up with the hmm. the line in the chorus is, "How now, brother, by your hand." It was just a real random way for it to come about, but that's how the song ended up wanting to present itself and wanting to come out. And um, I think I finally got it somewhere where I think he'd really like the song. Grief can be so huge and suffocating and overwhelming, right? So maybe maybe that gave you like the in yeah, a little I, bit, right? I think you're right. I think it did. But um, I love the song. I'm really proud of it. I think about him every time I play it um, joyfully. Because he was really a joyful guy. He was a, a real character, a really incredibly, very unique person. Man, I hope it's a good tribute to him. I hope he likes it. All right. Probably do a little bit faster than that. Say it ain't so, brother, spinning in the 
right. Awesome. Brianna and Kelsey, is there anything you'd like to plug? I mean, besides the album, any any artists you want to shout out or anything? Um, uh, for sure, uh, Tyler Key. Yeah. And the Strangers. Tyler Key is a really He's talented our, recording our artist who produced buddy. the album. Good buddy and guiding star. Couldn't have been in better hands uh, as a producer. Um, damn, a top-notch songwriter in his own right. So please definitely look up Tyler Key. He's got a ton of albums. Um, and, and go through his deep cuts because, honestly, his um, he has, like, an EP called, like, Fever Dream Recorder. And it's, like, from forever ago, and it's, like, buried on his Spotify. But weirdly, that's my favorite of all of his recordings. Um, but he's got something for everybody. He's wonderful. He's, like, if, if Bruce Springsteen could be any more blue-collar, it would be Tyler Key. So please definitely check him out. He had an album come out last year. It's called Wild Azaleas and Other Tall Tales, and I really can't recommend it enough. Hmm. And definitely the two bands that we'll be playing with uh, at the Earl on November 18th. That's been tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a wonderful recording artist. And yeah. Evan Stepp and the Piners. Oh, my gosh. You've never heard a more beautiful voice. Wonderful. He sings like an angel. Well, we've talked about Ben Tricky. John, you and I, we did. We featured him um, oh, yeah. in one of his songs. So, y'all, he's yep. wonderful. Nice. Please look up Ben Tricky. Uh, he's got a, a ton of albums out there. All are, are solid gold in their own right. I, my personal favorite is Choke and Croon. It's uh, from a little older back, a little farther back. But it's my personal favorite. And Evan Step just had an album come out last year as well, and it is, oh gosh, it's so worth a, a spin. Please give it a whirl. So where can people find and follow you in your music? Uh, you can find uh, our music on most streaming platforms other than Amazon. Yeah, we don't do Amazon, but... Uh, but we also have uh, social media. Uh, we've got Facebook, Instagram, under Skunkweed Juju. Um... And that, yeah, that's where you can follow the band. Um, I've got a business that I'm starting. Uh, it's kind of a baby business. Um, uh, I'm, it's I'm a by precious, tra- precious baby <laughs> business. It's so fascinating. I'm by trade a hide tanner, so I uh, tan animal hides and do hide craft, uh, sort of like in a folk craft way, but for modern uh, consumers. So that is at uh, Grand Filan. F E L I N Wild X Wild X Domestic on um, uh, you know Instagram Facebook got a website excellent and I'll make sure to link to all awesome. of this on, on the website too Brianna Bass Kelsey Martis Skunkwee Juju thanks for being on Song Surfing this is awesome yeah man. looking forward to hearing the full thank album thank you thank you so much for having us. All right, that music means it's time for me to say thanks for listening to Song Surfing. Thanks to Kelsey and Brianna for coming on the show. You can find links for all the music that you heard today, as well as the link to Kelsey's company over on the show notes page of songsurfingpodcast.com. The second and final Skunkwee Juju album, Think What's Next and Don't Cry, comes out this Friday, November 18th. And if you're in the Atlanta area, you can go to their record release slash farewell show that same night. Check out their Instagram for the ticket link for that. You can follow Song Surfing on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Song Surfing Podcast. 
and on Twitter, SongSurfingPod. Friends, if you haven't rated the show on whatever app you're listening from, kindly take a moment to do so and help the show grow. You can rate on, let's see, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and probably some others that I'm forgetting. If you're listening over on the Song Surfing website, you can click the follow button that's in the Captivate player for a quick and easy way to get to some of the links to those apps. The opening theme of the show is Living in a Fishbowl by Josh Ween, and the outro music you're hearing now is Little Pills by Patrick Moonbird. My name's John Kell, and see you next time!